Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we'll start at verse number 13 this morning, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, that while I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. If we will pray, if we will pray. Amen. Our attitude in prayer is so important. We're going to talk about this. We've been talking about kingdom life, what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And so for the, this today and probably next week, we're going to talk about kingdom prayer and what it means to pray as part of God's kingdom. Can we lift our voice and pray right now and ask God to prepare our hearts? Jesus, we seek your face now. In prayer, God, we, we humble ourselves before you. You are God. We are not. You are Lord and we are not. You are the King. And Jesus, we submit to you in your presence. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you speak to every one of us. Speak to me, Lord, through your word. As I preach what you have to say, God, I pray that you'd open my eyes to see your word for myself. And help me, God, to receive from you. Help us all to receive a word from you this morning. In Jesus' name, we need you. We desire you. We long for you, God. In Jesus' name, you may be seated this morning. If we will pray, being part of God's kingdom means that, as we've talked about in the past, in the past few Sundays, being part of God's kingdom means being part of God's domain or dominion. He is in charge. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is God. And we are his subjects. We're his people. Our kingdom is a, a, an area usually a land space or land mass, a country in which a king has complete dominion. But God isn't really interested in land mass, so to speak. He's not interested in becoming king of Canada, so to speak, as a nation. I know some nations have, have uh, attempted to establish themselves under God. And that's admirable. That's great. That's good, and I think that is ultimately what is going to take place. But but a nation, a, a boundary, is not really what God is after. He's not looking for a land mass. He's not looking for a flag. He's not looking for a, a national uh, uh, adherence to his word. What His real kingdom is not in the governments of men or in the territories or boundaries of land mass, but really... The kingdom God is after is the kingdom of your heart Amen. and my heart. Amen. Amen. You see, if God rules in the hearts of men, then the nations follow. Right. The families follow. Amen. The churches follow. God isn't really even interested, I don't think, in being the God over a, a church. And, and I, I, I'm careful with that because that, that can pick that apart probably but but it's not about a, a church building is what I'm saying right. it's not about a location it's about your heart your family your home your life is God the king of you and if God is the king of you then then whatever you are a part of is under his 
authority. See, we have to humble ourselves. We've talked about kingdom life means humility. Jesus said, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you're going to come as a little child. Amen. Child is innocent and trusting and, and open and receptive and teachable and, and impressionable. Often children catch more than they learn. They, they catch more than what you sit down to teach them, right? There's the old adage, do what I say and not what I do. And that doesn't really work. You know, parents sometimes say that to their kids. Well, but you did this. No, do what I say and not what I do. Then uh, that's not really going to happen. The kids are actually going to do what you do and not what you say. Amen. That's, that's how kids learn. That's, they learn by watching. They learn by observing. You don't even realize it when they're unable to speak. They are absorbing and learning and and inputting, they're soaking it all up like a sponge. Everything. And God, Jesus said, when you come into the kingdom of God, you've got to come like a little child. Impressionable. Ready to learn and to receive and to change. You've got to humble yourself. There's no greater way to humble yourself than through prayer. Humbling yourself is always what precedes prayer. Prayer is what comes after you humble yourself. The phrase humble yourselves is from the Hebrew word kanah, verb that indicating subduing or humbling. It has the basic sense of being lowly or meek. And it's used to describe the Lord's humbling of the heart and, and, and someone coming and bowing themselves low. It gives a sense of a king ruling over a kingdom and perhaps acquiring a new kingdom in which he defeats his enemies. And now this new kingdom is subject to the laws of the new king. They're under the protection of the new king. They're subject to the desires of the new king and his wishes for them. And so the Lord told Solomon that the people are, that are called by his name must humble themselves before him. And first make him the king of their lives. Amen. Must make God the king of our lives. See, when you come into prayer, your attitude towards God and prayer really determines the outcome of your prayer. <laughs> prayer is a lot less about changing your circumstances and a lot more about changing you. Amen. Uh, let's talk about what prayer is not. Prayer is not a Bitcoin that you can put into the vending machine of heaven and receive your bag of chips. Mm. I don't know if I used the right analogy there. Bitcoin, something else. Coin. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Money. Prayer. Prayer is not. Uh, they used to say. You know. I, I used to hear preachers talk about prayer, and they say, well. You know, you, you go to pray and you, you, you uh, it's like writing a check. And you write a check on an empty bank uh, and, and that check is going to bounce. So you, you, you pray on an empty prayer life and, and your prayer is going to bounce. And that, that, that may preach well and it might try to convey the message of being faithful to God and consistent in your walk with God. And that's important. But it sends the wrong message that prayer... The more you pray, the more your situation will improve. When it's more on the lines of the more you pray, the more you will Hallelujah. improve. The 
more, the more humble you become when you pray. Prayer is, is not about a vending machine. You can't, you can't pray more. That's what Jesus said. That, that's vain repetition. That's what the, the Gentiles do. They, they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. They go to prayer and they pray repetitive prayers. They, 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 they pray uh, scripted prayers. And a scripted prayer is okay if it comes from your heart. But if a scripted prayer is nothing more than a, 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 a Hail Mary, Mother of God kind of prayer where you just pray on a repetitive round over and over again, thinking that God is going to hear you the more times you repeat this specific prayer, I, I, I'm here to tell you that, that that is the wrong approach to prayer. Amen. God said to Solomon, if I shut up the heavens that there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Prayer was about humbling themselves. And God indicated that he would allow things into the lives of his own people, called by his own name, that would cause them distress, and anxiety and stress and worry. And God says the remedy for these problems is prayer. Amen. Amen. And not just prayer, but humbling yourself in prayer. Seeking His face. Turning from your wicked ways. Then God would hear from heaven. Attitude is everything. Right? If attitude wasn't important, then... Then the next time you need a job, go to your interview in shorts, ripped shorts, and uh, you know a, a, a t-shirt with a couple stains on it, and see if that affects whether or not you are hired. Now, depending on where you're applying for a job, that might that might not matter to the person hiring you. But generally, when you go to a job, that you you try to you get your nicer clothes on. You make sure you don't smell bad. You look smell nice. You might even put on cologne or perfume. You might do an extra touch-up to help shave or you know trim everything up, keep everything nice and fresh. Because why? You're taking time to prepare yourself. When you're writing that resume, you send it to a few people and say, well, how does this look? Hopefully you put another pair of eyes on it to say, is there any spelling mistakes? I've been on the receiving end of hiring. You know, when I, on another job that I worked in, I was part of a team of people that worked on hiring, and I was amazed at the kind of resumes that came in with glaring spelling errors and grammar mistakes. And it was like, this, this should have, they should have sent this to somebody. It's okay if you can't spell, but give it to somebody who can. Let them help you. Let them help you look good. It's your attitude, right? It shows. When someone puts their best foot forward, that they're they're making an effort. That's right. That's right. Right. You you go to the interview on time. You're not late. Hopefully. Amen. You have your references in order. The the phone numbers are all right. You've checked them out. Right. There's this. There's a preparation involved because it, it, it's the difference of whether you really want the job or you really don't care. It doesn't matter to you. That's right. It is the same in prayer. How you approach God is so important, and it makes a big difference for you. Now, God is loving. We cannot approach Him perfectly. 
I don't want you to get the idea that if, if you approach God the imperfect way, he will totally ignore and not respond to you at all. No, because I've, I've heard many testimonies of imperfect prayers that received a perfect response. Hallelujah. God is faithful. Hallelujah. God is loving. God is kind. But, but you yourself, if your attitude is, is, is in the right place, you will get more out of it. Amen. You'll be able to hear God and hear His response. So you humble yourself in prayer. The Lord says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Right. Seek my face. Seek my face. When, when they, they say, and I found this to be true, the best communication happens when you're eye to eye with somebody. Mm. When you're looking them in the face. When you're looking them in the eye. When you're connecting on that personal level. You, you, you make eye contact. And you can tell, usually when someone's done talking, they're looking away. They're distracted. And they might not be ready to say it, but they've kind of checked out of the conversation. And so it makes it hard to continue that conversation. God says, I want you to be engaged. When, when you come to pray, I don't want you distracted. I don't want you thinking about this, that, I want you engaged in prayer. I want you to seek my face. Turn from your wicked veins means to repent of your sin. Repent of the things you know are holding you back from your walk with God. And, and then he'll hear from heaven. So now we come with boldness. Come boldly before the throne of God. We don't need to approach God timidly. With timidity and fear. Like he's going to punish us. He took the punishment for us on the cross. Jesus said it basically uh, through the, 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 the writers of the book of Hebrews. To come boldly unto the throne of Christ. God wants you to come boldly before his throne. That you might obtain what? Mercy. mercy. You come boldly to obtain mercy. That sounds odd, right? Sounds like you should be coming humbly to obtain mercy. You know, coming, crawling in on your hands and feet. Begging for forgiveness. Begging for mercy. But God says, I'd rather you come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. How do I come boldly before the throne of grace? One time I was praying and uh, I didn't really realize it, but I was kind of praying in a weepy, whiny way. I don't know if you've ever, you've probably never prayed like that before. You know, kind of like, oh God, oh Lord, help me Jesus. And the Lord, just in a gentle way, kind of rebuked me and said, Stop whining your prayers. I said, Come boldly before Hallelujah. the throne. Hallelujah. Don't come begging God for an answer. Praise God. But come boldly before. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Now, you can be humble and bold at the same time. Yes, sir. Humble doesn't mean begging. Because, because humility is not the same as, as self-deprivation. Putting yourself down. Oh, God, please help me. Oh, 
like begging for something. That's, that's not necessarily humility. It might be more like a false humility. I'm, I'm just nothing, God. I just, please condescend to me. Come down to my level. Please help me out. And, and, and he says, you look, I want you to come boldly before the throne of grace. Praise God. I want you to come boldly before the throne of grace. I read the context of this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now that's that, that's rather wordy, so let me break that down for you. God sees everything already. Amen. Uh, you are not making God aware of something by praying about it. Hallelujah. This is a this might be a news flash for you. But you aren't educating God about your situation when you pray. God already knows about your circumstances. He already knows about your troubles. He already knows about the sin you committed. And by the way, He knows the motive of your heart you might not even be aware of that's behind the sin or the choices you committed. He's already aware. He already sees everything already. The Bible says everything is manifest in His sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him. He already sees the thoughts, the intents of your heart. He knows the deep motives. He knows the wounds. He knows the traumas. He knows the hurts. He knows the everything about you already. So then you might say, well, what's the point of prayer? What is the point of prayer is putting you into position to receive from Him who knows all things already. Prayer, again, does not open the windows of heaven. Prayer puts you under the open windows. Prayer puts you in the position to receive from the one who already sees your situation and has everything you have need of because the Bible says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could even ask or think. He already knows and he already has a solution in the wings. He already has something in the, the preparation room. The windows of heaven are already open. It's just a matter of you getting into position to receive it. That's why he says, come boldly before the throne. Come boldly. Come with confidence. Confidence in myself? No, no. That's the, that's the humility part. That's where you look at yourself and say, I'm deficient. There's an emptiness in me. There's a void in me. So I come to God knowing he has the resources and the willingness to supply and fill that emptiness. But apart from all of that, he knows your frame. Yes. He knows your frame. Yes. So not only can you not hide anything from God, he already knows. He knows the way that you were created and the what is going on inside of you. He says, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus is the great high priest 
who is already touched with the feelings Hallelujah. of your Hallelujah. infirmity. Hallelujah. What is your infirmity this morning? Praise. What is your sickness? What is your hurt? What is your trauma? What is your pain? What is your problem? What is your infirmity? What is the thing that is wrong that you want God to make right in your life? The Bible says that He is already touched with the feeling of that infirmity. He, this high, the New Living Translation says like this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we did. But yet he did not sin. Amen. We can pray boldly and confidently because God is not an aloof spirit being that is detached from our existence. But rather God himself became flesh and was manifested among us. Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin woman. You understand that that means Mary when she told her friends and family she was pregnant with Jesus. They were kind of shocked because she wasn't married. So instantly his mother gets a mark on her life. Today, it's not such a big deal when someone who's unmarried becomes pregnant. That's a rather common thing in our society. Nobody really bats an eye at that anymore. But in the days of Jesus, it was enough to get you cast out of the city. And there wasn't welfare programs for, for single moms or unwed moms. There, there was no assistance, government assistance. No, if you, if you were kicked out of your family, you were left to yourself. And women couldn't get jobs like men could in those days. So, so her livelihood was shot. Right. If, if Joseph chose to put Mary out, he was condemning her to a life of starvation. And that baby would have never survived. Thank God Joseph didn't do that. An angel came and visited him and said, Hey, this is actually the truth. God has, has, has put this child inside of her. She is pregnant of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and she's going to give birth to the Son of God. This is not what it seems. So Jesus, Jesus grew up with this stigma that he was the, the result of some kind of a, I mean, Let's be honest. How many of you would believe your girlfriend, friend that came to you and said, I, I'm, I'm pregnant and the, the father of this child is, is the Holy Spirit? Like, mm-hmm. So his first name's Holy and his last name is Spirit. Where does he live? Because I don't believe you. Sorry. <laughs> Try again. That happened once, never again. We wouldn't believe that. That's right. We, we would think, ah, did you get... Were you on your medication this month? Maybe you shouldn't be on your medication right now because of this baby. But really, like we wouldn't believe that. So you can imagine what Mary went through and what kind of stigma was on Jesus's life. Not only that, but 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 Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth, and you find it over and over in the New Testament. Anytime someone finds out Jesus is from Nazareth, they, the, the first thing they say is. I didn't know any good thing could come out of that city. Right. Let's talk about where he was born. Not in the home of his family, which was a typical place to be born, surrounded by 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 grandmother and an aunt and and midwives and all of the regular customary child bringing in moments. No, no, no. Jesus was born in the stable and placed in a manger that the animals ate from, 
and Joseph, the husband, was the midwife. A very odd combination. Not only was he born in the homeless shelter, but he was raised in the armpit of his society. He was raised on the wrong side of the tracks. And he was forever marked over and over. You see in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. He never lost the stain of the place where he grew up for the rest of his life. So I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping some of this resonates with somebody here this morning. Jesus was touched with the feeling of your infirmities. If, if you went through rejection, Jesus went through the greatest of rejections. Amen. If you went through pain or trauma, Jesus understands the pain of trauma and loss. If you've lost someone you love, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was, was dead before he was even a young man, a young adult. He never got to see Jesus' ministry. Joseph wasn't present because the, the, they believed that Joseph died. He was an older man, and so he died perhaps when Jesus was very young. So Jesus had to grow up quickly to support his mother and himself and his, his younger brothers. But I'm just saying, Jesus knows all about your trouble. Amen. He understands the 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 problems that we face. You say, yeah, but Jesus was never married and never faced divorce. But if you know your Bible, you know that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So anything that happens to God in the Old Testament, Jesus is very, very akin and aware of that. And the Bible talks about how God treated Israel like his wife, but Israel kept going to other gods like a wife committing adultery on her husband to the point where in somewhere in in the prophets God even said to his 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 wife Israel I'm divorcing you yes, yes God's been through a divorce and it was messy it was a messy divorce it was problematic it was it, it was lots of back and forth you read the Old Testament it's this back and forth relationship where Israel's on again and off again on again, off again. And God was faithful every time Israel came back. God's been through it all. God knows the feelings of your infirmities. He knows the pains of suffering, sickness, death, family misunderstandings, poverty, being lied about, bigotry, racism, obscurity, the loss of loved ones, hatred. He understands even the feelings of betrayal and abandonment. He understands grief. He understands mistreatment. He understands even the feelings of love and of, uh, 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 of, of good things. He understands all because he was touched with the feelings of your infirmities when you pray. You're not praying to a God who does not know and does not hear and does not see, but you're praying to a God who sees, who knows, and who feels and is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. So you can come before his throne boldly. Not only is he aware of your situations, but his sacrifice on the cross gave me access to his presence. That's right. You see, the Old Testament, there was this thing called the tabernacle. I'd love to give you a tour of the tabernacle. It's such a cool study. Because it was God's only way to reach his people in the Old Testament before Jesus was crucified on the cross. And what the tabernacle was, was a big fenced-in area. 
The fence, the outer fence was seven feet tall. So even the tallest individuals could not see over the fence to look into God's house. The only way into the outer court of the tabernacle was through one singular gate. It was very decorated, beautiful, ornate. And the only people allowed to go into that gate were the heads of households. Heads of households. So I'm sorry, moms and kids. You had to wait outside while dad took the sacrifice and he could only go so far. Right. Dad could only take the animal as far as the brazen altar. So the most, the women of the, of the nation of Israel ever saw of the inner sanctuary of God was the brazen altar and the tabernacle within the, that, that, that fenced-in area. And Dad would bring the sacrifice to the priest, and as a representative of the family, he would put his hand on the head of that animal, the animal that was no doubt a household pet. And that animal would be sacrificed, his blood would be spilled, gathered and collected, and then taken back into the, into the holy place. And the animal would be sacrificed on the altar. The priest would then go to the brazen labor and wash the blood, the stain off of his hands, symbolic of baptism. And then he would go into the holy place. Dad, at this point, had to go back out with his family into the, uh, the, the, the regular gathering area. He could not stay any longer. He had to leave. And the priests would go into that, that holy place. Only priests were allowed to go in. And not just by any, by any right. They had to take, a, 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 like they had to cast lots or draw straws. Or who's going to go in the temple today? So one priest out of the whole nation of, uh, of Levi went into the holy place. And they brought the blood and they would sprinkle it on different things and perform different ceremonies of worship and prayer. And they would represent you bringing your needs to God in that place. And they would worship in there and then they would come out and your sacrifice would be accepted before God. Once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into the very back room of the tabernacle called the holiest place or the holy of holies. Where God's presence was said to have dwelt in that back room of the tabernacle. And only once a year was the high priest allowed to go in by himself. No other priest was ever allowed to go into that back room. And so God's clothes, the closest he could get to his people was through other people. How is that different in the New Testament? The Bible tells us that when Jesus was crucified on the cross... The Bible says that the, the veil in the temple ripped from the top all the way down to the bottom. You have to understand this veil in the temple of Jesus' time was many stories high. And it was uh, somewhere between 6 to 12 inches thick. It was a very thick veil. So the Bible says that the veil was ripped, just, just shredded from top to bottom. Permanently exposing the holy place forever, never shut off again, never closed. Now the holy place is open forever. So now it's understandable why, why Hebrews tells us we can all come boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to bring a sacrifice of animals. We don't have to bring a sacrifice of goats or, or, or cows or doves or pigeons. We bring the sacrifice of our praise, the fruit of our lips, the Bible says. And we come boldly into the very back room where God's presence 
dwells in. You don't have to gingerly walk your way in, but you can just go boldly in because He has made a way for you. Amen. God has permanently removed your sins. When you're baptized in water, in Jesus' name, by the way, the tabernacle symbolizes your entrance into the kingdom of God. When you come into the presence of God and you repent of your sins, that's like sacrificing that, that, that animal. That animal was now Jesus. Jesus offered his blood as a permanent covering for your sins. So now Jesus takes the place of that animal and is sacrificed for your sins. Your sin is now paid for. There is no need to worry that God is going to punish you because God took upon himself all the punishments of your sin on the cross. So Jesus dies for you and you repent of that sin and then you go into the waters of baptism in Jesus name and the Bible says all of your sin is washed away just like the priest would wash the blood off of his hands and then you enter into the holy place where the presence of God is. That's like receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and in that presence of God there is the word of God so now you have fellowship of reading the word and worshiping and in access into the holiest of holies where the presence of God lives. Now you can come boldly when you're saved. You are now able to enter into the very presence of God at any moment of any day. You don't have to be in a church building. You don't have to kneel down. You don't even have to stand up. You can sit wherever you are or wherever you're lying down. You can just call on the name of Jesus and you are entering into the holiest of holies. So now, when you go through that process, the Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 17, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. This is a, in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, this was a double negative. And it literally can be translated as, I will no never remember their sins. I will no never remember their sins. I, I, will, I won't even recall it to memory. As far as the east is from the west, I'm going to forget about their sins forever. So we enter in because of his sacrifice. He's paved the way for us. How can I enter into prayer with boldness? I enter into prayer because I know that he knows what I'm struggling with. He knows the temptations that I'm faced with. He knows the desires that I wrestle with. He knows the, the, the pains that I've been through. He understands the hurts that I've experienced. Uh, so I can go in with confidence knowing He cares. He identifies with me. I can go in with confidence because my sin has been taken care of. And He's already paid the price for me to enter into His presence. And now I can enter with boldness because of His love. 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. We can, verse 17, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. This shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We haven't come to grips with the fact that Jesus was already punished for our sins. Amen. Sometimes when things go wrong in our life, we might ask the question, is God punishing me for my sin? Yes, sir. I would say unequivocally no. Almost every time I would say no. 
Never is a trial in your life a punishment for your sin. What I mean by that is, if you were to be punished for your sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You would instantly die if you were truly being punished for your sins. So if you are able to still breathe air and produce carbon dioxide out of your lungs, then you are not being punished for your sins, but rather this is the mercy of God reaching for you to make you aware of your life. I'm not saying there's not consequences for sins. Right. Right. There's always a consequence for your choices and behaviors. However you choose to live, will will that'll be played out in, in the things that take place in your life, the consequences. But if you get sick, if you get a, a report from the doctor that you all of a sudden have cancer, don't automatically go to the place that says, oh, I'm being punished for something. Amen. 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 If you lose your eyesight, your hearing, or some kind of calamity happens, you say, well, what's going on? Am I, am I, am I, am I sinning, God? Are you punishing me for some wicked thing that I've done? And the answer is no. No, no, because the wages of sin is death, and if you're not dead, then you not, have not yet received the punishment for that sin. God is still extending His mercy to you. Amen. Amen. He's still extending His mercy so you can enter boldly before the throne of grace. Now, God did say, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Mm. Then you need to turn your face back toward me. If life isn't going well, it's okay for you to turn to me and say, God, I turn back to you. If there's something in my life that's not right, help me to turn back to you because when I'm turning to God, I'm, I'm receiving mercy and I'm receiving forgiveness and I'm receiving help and I'm receiving strength. But don't out of fear of being punished approach God. Come with the boldness that He loves you. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Sometimes we wear our guilt and shame. And we choose to hold on to it even after God has forgiven us. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. When we wear the righteousness of God in our lives, we have boldness in our prayers because our past deeds are covered by God's righteousness. Yes. Let me put it to you this way. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt and according to the lust, deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In the Amplified Bible, verse 24 reads like this, and put on the new nature created in God's image in true righteousness and holiness. When when you repent of your sins and you come to God and say, by the way, repentance looks a lot like this. God, what I just did was wrong. And I, I'm sorry. I turn to you. Help me to know the right way. That's repentance. And then that's followed up with actions. You're following up with actions to 
to turn your life around and walk towards God. That's repentance. When you repent of your sins, the next step for you to take is to be baptized in Jesus' name. And the word baptized means to be fully immersed in water. And while you're being fully immersed in water, that the person that baptizing you needs to say, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. The word remission there means forgiveness or washing away. So when something happens to you spiritually, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, the water does nothing, but the Spirit of Jesus comes and washes away the stain of sin in your life. And when you come up out of the waters, the Bible says that you are now able to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, yes. which is God's Spirit that comes to live inside of your heart and your life. And the evidence, the way you know that you've received the Holy Ghost, the Bible says you'll speak in a language you've never learned before in your entire life. It's called speaking in other tongues. When that takes place, the Bible says you are now a new creature in Christ Jesus. That you have now put on a new identity, a new set of clothes. And this is now called the righteousness of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. For as many of you, Galatians 3.27, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Mm -hmm. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, you are literally put in being baptized, planted, submerged, and, and put inside of the name of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you from that point forward, he no longer sees you and your name and your stain of sin and your record. Because you remember at the beginning of this message, when you approach God, you approach God completely naked. doesn't matter how many clothes you have on. God sees the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He knows your record. He knows everything about you, everything you've done and everything you thought and everything you've said. But when you get baptized in Jesus' name, God puts a robe on you that covers up the old man. And he no longer sees you, but now... Now he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Check this out. In Romans chapter 4, the Bible's talking about a man by the name of Abraham in the Old Testament. And this is what God has to say about Abraham. Abraham believed God and was counted for him for righteousness. Right. Later on in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, he says, He was not weak in faith. Abraham. In other words, he was strong in faith, not weak. And he didn't even stagger at the promises of God. When God gave Abraham a promise, Abraham was like, da, 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 God promised me and I believe it and I will never waver in my faith and I will not even stagger when things come my way. I'm going to stand on the promises of God and da, 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 I'm going to be strong in my promises. But if you actually read the account of Abraham's life, that's right. Um, that, 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 that ain't what happened. That's right, that's right, that's right. The reality was, Abraham doubted the promises of God. Yes. So much that instead of trying to have a child with his own wife, he took the handmaiden of his wife and had a child with her by the name of Ishmael. Abraham was so worried that Sarah would probably die that he lied to the kings around her 
and told them that she was not his wife, but his sister. Abraham staggered so much in the promises of God that at one point he even asked God, God, should I pass on my inheritance to my servant? Because I still, I'm 90-something years old and I still don't have a son that you promised me. Should I just go ahead and pass on my heritage to him? So, so what gives? Why is God lying about Abraham? He didn't lie. Because for whatever amount of faith Abraham did place in God, there was a moment in Abraham's life where he finally gave in to the promises of God and he said, okay, Isaac is the promised child and God is going to keep his promise to me through Isaac. At some point, Abraham had lots of ups and downs, lots of bumps in the road, lots of mistakes made, but at some point, Abraham locked his faith in on God and said, okay, fine. I believe what God said. And the Bible says when Abraham believed God, God imputed righteousness to him. What does that look like? God covered up all of Abraham's past mistakes with a document that said Abraham had perfect faith. So what does that mean for your prayers this morning? You may feel like you have made lots of mistakes. You may have records of your sin, evidence of your mistakes and your failures in your past. But when you get baptized in Jesus' name, God puts a new garment over you that completely blots out all of your past mistakes. And so when God looks at you, he looks at someone with perfect faith, perfect obedience, perfect everything, because God covers you in his righteousness what does this mean, Pastor? What does this have to do with prayer? When I come into prayer, I don't have to come with my tail tucked between my legs. Oh, God, I know what I did this week. I know what I said this week. I know what how my attitude was. I can come boldly because I've repented of my sins. I've made my life right with God. And God will allow me access to his presence. And I don't have to enter in like some child that's afraid of being punished. But I can come with boldness before his throne. He'll give me the mercy I need to cover my past. And he'll hear my prayers. And he'll answer my requests because he is faithful in everything that he does. Amen. Can we stand this morning? I want you to approach prayer with boldness. Don't come timidly. Don't come afraid that God is going to punish you. Don't come afraid that God is not going to hear you. Come with boldness that God is going to respond to your prayers, whatever they may be this morning. Can we find that place of prayer this morning? Can we find that place of, 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 of communion with the Lord? And maybe you want to come around the front and pray together as a family, or you just want to pray in your seat. Whatever the case is, it, it, all that matters is that you come before his presence boldly. You come before his presence with, with confidence. And he's, you don't have to have the perfect words. Pastor's not going to give you a script. I'm not going to give you a script to read or to recite to God because it's not about what you say, it's about how you say it. It's about your attitude in prayer. God loves you. God is crazy about you. God has been seeking for your relationship and fellowship with you for, for years and years. And, and everything that has happened in your life has brought you to this point in this moment in the presence of God.